justification. When we talk about justification, we are talking about God's declaration that we are not guilty, forgiven of sin, and righteous in his sight. Obviously, this is a weighty, significant, important theme for us to understand Because if we are not justified in God's sight, if we are not forgiven of our sin, if we are in fact guilty, that is a huge problem. That is in fact our biggest problem. To be guilty before the Lord is to face eternal condemnation. In Galatians, the Lord spoke through Paul to teach and remind us how we become justified. In 2017, the Pew Research Center conducted a poll of U.S. Protestants regarding their beliefs. The poll revealed that 52% of Protestants believe that both good deeds and faith are necessary for salvation. The idea that good deeds and faith are both necessary for salvation bears similarities to the teaching that Paul was refuting in Galatians. And so Galatians is relevant for us today because there is a lot of confusion regarding how we become justified. A controversy arose in the early church, which we learn about in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, where we read, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were teaching Christians, yes, you must believe in Jesus, yes, you must have faith in Jesus, but you must also practice these things that are commanded in the law of Moses. You must do both in order to be saved. In response to this controversy, the leaders of the church convened a council, which we read about in Acts chapter 15. The council determined that that teaching was false. It is not, in fact, necessary to practice circumcision according to the custom of Moses in order to be saved. They affirm the truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia was likely written a year or two after his first missionary journey, his first missionary visit to the region, which was probably about A.D. 46 or 47, but shortly before the Jerusalem council met and rendered their decision, which may have been about A.D. 48. The false teachers in Galatia were teaching a similar message as the men in Acts chapter 15. Paul could hardly believe the report that the Galatians were falling for their message. He wrote and combated their false teaching with dynamic, life-changing gospel truth. He wanted the Galatians to reject any notion of works-based righteousness. He wanted them to keep in step with the truth of the gospel in belief and practice, enjoying the incredible freedom that we have in Jesus Christ as we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote the letter with a sense of urgency. The subject matter was not insignificant and a lot was at stake. He wrote with the heart of a pastor. He cared deeply for the brothers and sisters in Galatia. He cared about their understanding of the gospel and their faith. So through this letter, he reminded them of the gospel truth he had preached to them, and he exhorted them to live their lives in step with the Spirit. The structure of Galatians, the way the letter unfolds, serves as a wonderful reminder to us as followers of Christ 
regarding the importance of knowing and believing the truth and living our lives in a way that is consistent with the truth. The truth of the gospel is of utmost importance. God has revealed the truth of the gospel to us in his word so that we can know the truth, so that we can understand the truth, so that we can believe the truth, and so that we can speak the truth. We place a high value on the truth of the gospel because God places a high value on the truth of the gospel. We also see the importance of living in a way that is consistent with the truth of the gospel. So we recognize that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law. At the same time, we recognize, we understand that believing the truth of the gospel leads to a change and transformed life. Because God has saved us, he commands us to live in a way that glorifies him. We see this in the book of Galatians. One of the things we see is that Paul had to actually confront Peter. Because at one point in time, Peter, an apostle, preacher of the gospel, was living in a way that was hypocritical. That was out of step with the truth of the gospel. And so Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, recounts this confrontation. He says, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Here was Peter. He had spent years with Jesus, watching him, listening to him, learning from him. And after Jesus died, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, Peter preached the gospel to thousands of people. He was used mightily by God to proclaim the truth so that many heard, believed, and were saved. And yet here he was, after all of this, acting in a way that was hypocritical, that was contrary to the truth of the gospel. And he needed Paul to confront him. He needed Paul to call him out and say, look, you're living in a way that is out of step with the truth of the gospel. So we see the importance of believing the gospel. We see the importance of living in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel. And we see exhortations and commands in Galatians to that End. We are absolutely, positively not saved by works. But those who are saved are called to follow God's commands through his word. There is a call to grow and mature in the faith. There is a call to strive for holiness. We are to obey. We are to practice the things that God commands. And one of the things that we have seen in chapter 5 is that keeping in step with the truth of the gospel involves living by the Spirit. Everyone who believes in Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And the Holy Spirit purifies us of our sin, convicts us of our sin, leads us in repentance, produces good fruit in us. The Holy Spirit is at work in a powerful way in our lives. And we are called to live by the Spirit who indwells us. One of the things the Holy Spirit does, as I said, is produce good fruit in us, which we have been studying over the last nine weeks. What is clear is that as you study the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit is meant to be evident in our relationships with one another. 
after the passage listing the fruit of the Spirit, we have some wonderful application regarding what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. We're going to see that in these verses. I'm going to read, again, beginning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, through chapter 6, verse 10. And I encourage you to follow along. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, for, whoever one, uh, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. These verses help us understand what biblical community looks like as we live by the Spirit. We need the Spirit to help us have a right view of ourselves, and we need the Spirit to help us care well for our brothers and sisters in Christ. A few times in this passage, we are warned against having a wrong view of ourselves. We are warned against becoming conceited. We are told to keep watch over ourselves lest we be tempted. And we are cautioned against deceiving ourselves. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia. He was writing to professing Christians. He was giving these warnings and commands to followers of Christ. He was not giving these commands to unbelievers. And so when we consider these exhortations, we need to recognize our need for humility. Life together in the Spirit is marked by humility, and every single one of us needs the Spirit to produce humility in us in increasing measure. We need humility, lest we become conceited, fall into temptation, and deceive ourselves. Our example, motivation, and power for humility comes from Jesus. Paul unpacks this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, where we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just as Paul warned of conceit in Galatians, he warned of conceit here in this passage in Philippians. And rather than conceit, we are to walk in humility. In humility, we are called to count others more significant than ourselves. We are able to do this because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus humbled himself for our sake. Because we are sinners, because we have rebelled against God, because we have gone our own way and done what is right in our eyes rather than submitting to the Lord, we are all in need of a Savior. And God sent Jesus Christ into the world to be the Savior of the world. And in order to save us, Jesus had to humble himself to a degree, to an extent that is difficult for us to comprehend. Christ was willing to humble himself for our sake because we were in need of a Savior due to our sin and our rebellion. Friend, if you're not a Christian, our greatest hope, our greatest desire, our greatest prayer for you is that you will know and understand the gospel and come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, what unites us here in this room is not that we are good people. As a matter of fact, we are all very sinful people. What unites us is that we have been saved by a good Savior. God has shown mercy to us by saving us in Christ Jesus. So our hope for you is you, you too will recognize that you are a sinner just like us, that you've fallen short of God's commands just like us, and that you will turn from your sin and believe in Christ and be saved. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He humbled himself. He lived a life without sin. He died upon the cross to take the punishment for the sins of his people. And after he was buried, he rose from the grave, conquering death. And after appearing to many people, he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. There will be a day of final judgment. And those who are saved on the day of final judgment are those who put their trust in Christ. If you have not trusted in Christ, we urge you, do not wait another day. Believe in Christ and be saved. If you are a Christian, remember. Remember how Christ humbled himself for your sake. Remember how he went from glory to being born as a baby, subjecting himself to sinful human parents. Remember how he, become, he became obedient. He lived a perfect life without sin for our sake. He resisted temptation, which we've all failed to do. And then he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Shameful, excruciating, awful, horrible way to die. Christ was humiliated. He condescended for our sake. We need to remember this because we will never humble ourselves for the sake of someone else to the degree that he humbled himself for our sake. We will never outdo Jesus in humility. It is simply not possible. Christ humbled himself for us, and now we have this mind in Christ Jesus. Rather than given to conceit, we need to think of others as more significant than ourselves, and we need to guard against thinking too highly of ourselves. In Romans 12.3, Paul said, Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think with sober judgment. We need to think of ourselves with sober judgment. We need to be warned against conceit 
because we can become conceited. We need to be told to keep watch over ourselves because we can fall into temptation. We need to be warned against deceiving ourselves because we can deceive ourselves. We never want to think that we are above these things. We never want to assume that we have progressed to the point where this would never be true of us. We need to be careful of thinking too highly of ourselves. And we need to be careful not to compare ourselves to others. In the sense of going, well, that person made that mistake. I'm glad I won't make that mistake. I'm glad I don't think that way. I'm glad I don't do those things. I'm glad I'm able to see more clearly. Oh, we need to guard against that. We need to be very careful in comparing ourselves to others. Rather, we need to have, think of ourselves with sober judgment. There is a quote I think of often, which I've shared before. I try to remind myself of this quote anytime I sense that I might be thinking more highly of myself than I ought. And the quote comes from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. If he charges you falsely on some point, yet be satisfied, for if he knew you better, he might change the accusation, and you would be no gainer by the correction. If you have your moral portrait painted and is ugly, be satisfied, for it only needs a few blacker touches, and it would be still near the truth. Good reminder, because the Lord sees all. He sees our thoughts. He, he, he sees our hearts. Imagine if our thoughts were plastered on the screens for everyone to see. That would be terrifying. But the Lord sees this. The Lord sees all, and it's good to remember that. Anytime we are tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, it's good to humble ourselves in this way. If we walk in humility, we will recognize our need for grace every moment of every day. At the same time, we need to see that walking in humility should not prevent us from helping others repent of their sin. Humility should not cause us to say, well, because I struggle with anger, I can't help you repent of your sinful anger. Or because I've struggled with sexual immorality, I can't help you repent of your sexual immorality. Or because I've struggled with gossip, I can't help you repent of your gossip. We need to recognize that humility should not cause us to refrain from helping others turn from their sin. Helping others repent of their sin is loving, and it's an important way we care for one another. We do need to guard against pride and hypocrisy when we do so, but guarding against pride and hypocrisy should not lead us to inaction toward the sin of others. We need to be able to identify sin as sin. We need to recognize our own need to walk in repentance and one another's need to walk in repentance. I think the exhortation in Galatians 6.1 should remind us of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Leon Morris writes, Jesus is using a humorous method of bringing out the contrast between our excellence and picking up the faults of others and our myopia in discerning our own. Sometimes we are far better at seeing sins in other people than our own sins. Sometimes we are far better at seeing the way that others fall short 
and being blind to the way that we fall short. And so we need to be mindful of this. The point is not that we should never render judgments. After all, the conclusion is that you do take the speck out of your brother's eye. The point is not that we should never render judgments, but we ought to be awfully careful when we do so. We ought to recognize that we could be guilty of what Jesus is describing in these verses. But the application of the verse is not in action towards the sin of others. The point is to practice humility with the sins of others so that you see clearly and offer meaningful help. Humility should not prevent us from helping others repent of their sin, but lead us to address the sins of others with gentleness. If a brother or sister is caught in a transgression, a sin, then mature believers should try to restore the person with a spirit of gentleness. Spiritual maturity involves being able to identify sin in others while remaining humble about your sin. Spiritual maturity involves graciously working with someone to lead them in repentance of their sin with the goal of restoration. We don't want to remain in our sin, and we don't want others to remain in their sin. Sin brings ruin, while repentance brings freedom. We want to walk together in the freedom of the gospel. In Galatians 5.13, Paul wrote, For you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are called to freedom. We are called to walk in the freedom of the gospel. Remaining in sin is not freedom. And therefore, repentance from sin is how we enjoy this freedom that we have in Christ. We want to enjoy this freedom. We want our brothers and sisters to enjoy this freedom. And so when our heart is right, we're able to serve brothers and sisters who are caught in transgression to help lead them to repentance because we love, because we care, and because we want them to walk and enjoy the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. So the goal in helping someone caught in sin is restoration. In verses 2 through 5, we see that we are responsible for our own selves and we are responsible to care for others. On one hand, we need to bear one another's burdens and on the other hand, we need to bear our own load. The point here is that we are accountable to God for our own lives and we are called to care for one another. In verse 2, Paul gave the powerful exhortation to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we hear this, we should be reminded of what Jesus said when he was asked about the greatest commandment in the law of Moses. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God's law given to his people through his servant Moses was filled with many commands. If you look at the Old Testament, there's approximately 613 commands. And Jesus said, if you want to understand these commands, if you want to get to the heart of the matter, here it is. Love God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. If you understand and do these things, then you understand the law. And then Jesus taught his disciples A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are to love one another in such a way 
that our love for one another makes us distinct in the world. It helps people to identify us as followers of Christ. And in Galatians 5.14, Paul wrote, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All these passages teach us the importance of loving one another. Bearing one another's burdens is an important way we live out the command to love one another. And we all have burdens in this life. Sometimes our burdens are smaller, and sometimes they're overwhelming and debilitating. And we should not be embarrassed or ashamed when we have heavy burdens. And we should not be embarrassed or ashamed to ask for help with our burdens. The beauty of God's design for the church is seen in his plan for us to care for one another. The church is described as a family, as a body, as a temple. All these analogies point to our interconnectedness and interdependence. We need one another. We rely on one another. We help one another. So with that in mind, how do we bear one another's burdens? Well, bearing one another's burdens begins with an awareness of others' burdens. Sometimes we are unaware of others' burdens because they keep them hidden. It is difficult to see someone else's burden if they are trying hard to keep it hidden, covered up. They don't want to share. And so that's a reminder for us that when we have burdens, it's good to be open and honest and transparent. It's good to be able to share those things with brothers and sisters in Christ. But sometimes we are unaware of others' burdens because we are too focused on our own selves and our own lives. I grieve the many times in my own life when I've been so caught up in my own mind and my own thoughts and my own life and my own circumstances to the extent that I've missed burdens carried by those around me. I've missed the indications. I've missed the signs. I've missed the evidence that someone near to me was carrying a burden only to find out later. I grieve those times when I've been so caught up in my own mind, so focused on my own life that I miss that. And we need the Spirit to give us an awareness uh, of what's taking place in the lives of those around us, a mindfulness so that we can see the burdens of those near us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us be mindful of others, take interest in the well-being of others, ask good questions, and listen carefully. Often a failure to bear one another's burdens is simply a failure to do these things, a failure to see someone who is heavy laden. Being mindful of others is how we open doors to bear one another's burdens. And as we become aware of others' burdens, we need the Spirit to give us compassion. When Jesus saw people's burdens, he was moved with compassion. In Matthew 9.36, we read, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for those who were burdened. Even those who were burdened because of their own sin. And Jesus' compassion led to action. He healed people who were sick. He fed people who were hungry. He taught people who needed help. He befriended people who were outcasts. He valued people whom society did not value. He forgave people who were caught in their sins. He brought comfort to those who were hurting and downcast. Jesus' compassion led to action, and he cared for people's burdens in practical ways. When we have the heart of Christ, we have compassion, which moves us to action. Bearing one another's burdens involves taking action. 
What are ways that you can take action to bear one another's burdens? Maybe you help someone out, out by caring for their children, taking care of their kids one day so that they can have time to do, take care of something they need to do. Maybe it's by providing a meal for someone, taking someone a meal when they're in a difficult situation. Maybe it's helping someone financially. We don't like to talk about money. We don't like to ask for help with money. But one practical way we can bear another's burdens is by helping them financially in a time of need. Maybe it's helping someone with a house project. Maybe it's delivering flowers. Maybe it's being intentional to offer words of encouragement. When we do these things, we remind each other that we are not alone. When seeking to bear one another's burdens, we need the Spirit to give us wisdom to know what to say. Sometimes we can say things that are true, but not exactly helpful. I have been guilty of this so many times in my marriage. There have been so many times in my marriage when I've said things that, you know, they might be true, but man, not exactly timely, not exactly helpful. There have been times when my wife has been anxious about something, and I've said, well, you know, just need to trust the Lord more. And that's not untrue. I mean, we all do need to trust the Lord. We all need to grow in trusting the Lord. But sometimes that's not exactly the right diagnosis. Sometimes that's not exactly most helpful. When I was a senior in high school, I decided to do the high jump for the first time. Never did it in my track career. Did the high jump. Wasn't that great at it. But somehow, some way, I qualified for the state meet. Again, not because I was good, because it was a bad year for high jump, okay? <laughs> But I made it, I qualified at the state meet, and I was competing there. And after one failed attempt, I crossed the track and walked over to the fence where my uh, coach was, was watching. You know, it's state meet, a lot of people. So one of my friends decided to yell out to me real loud, Hey, Mike, jump higher. I was like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Okay, yeah. Jump higher. And he was being funny. He knew he was not giving good advice. But, you know, that's not exactly what I was looking. Again, not untrue. If I could jump higher, that would help. I would very much like to jump higher. But I was looking to my coach to give me a little bit better advice, to maybe give me a better diagnosis. He actually can look at various things, like my run-up. Was my approach? Was I taking the right angle? How were my steps? How was the timing of my jump? How was my angle over the bar? Was I kicking up my legs the right time? He can look at these things a lot more carefully, help me think more clearly, and actually give me meaningful help, better than jump higher, right? Sometimes we can say things that have truth but aren't exactly the right diagnosis, aren't exactly the, the most helpful, not the best timing. So we need the Spirit to give us wisdom when we're bearing one another's burdens to provide helpful, wise, gracious counsel. We also need the Spirit to help us know when we need to refrain from speaking. In many cases, the best way to bear one another's burdens is to listen. Sometimes someone who is heavy laden just needs a listening ear. So if someone's burdened around you, don't put pressure on yourself to say something profound or meaningful. Sometimes the best thing you can do is listen to someone, let them know that you care and you're with them, that they are not alone. Brothers and sisters, let's pray that God will give us an awareness of the burdens weighing down those around us. Let's be aware and let's consider how we can be used to bear one another's burdens. And as we seek to bear one another's burdens, we need to remember that we are accountable to the Lord for our own lives. John Stott writes, there is no contradiction here between verse two, 
bear one another's burdens. In verse 5, each man will have to bear his own load. We are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is a pact light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. Each man will have to bear his own load. Seeking help from brothers and sisters in Christ and accepting our responsibility to God are not mutually exclusive. We are responsible to God. We are accountable for our lives, but that does not mean we don't ask for help. That, means we, that doesn't mean we don't rely on others for, for care and support. We can be responsible for ourselves, recognizing our accountability to God, and receive help and give help to those who are need, in need. Because we are all, all accountable to God, Paul reminded the Galatians of the principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. In chapter 5, Paul had laid out the works of the flesh. He said, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. When we give in to temptation, when we indulge our sinful desires, and when we appease our worldly appetites, we sow to the flesh. When we do this, we can expect to reap corruption, which means ruin and destruction. God is graciously warning us through his word of the consequences that come when we indulge sin. God has always graciously warned people about the consequences of sin. He did this with Adam and Eve. He did this with the people of Israel time and time again. He does this in the New Testament with the church. He warns us of the consequences of sin. He points to the disastrous and ruinous consequences that come by indulging sin rather than living by the Spirit. Sin has consequences, but God graciously gives us his spirit to resist temptation and overcome sin. As he has generously given us his spirit, we are to sow to the spirit. We are to sow to the spirit by resisting sin. In Galatians 5.24, Paul wrote, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because we have been united to Christ, because we have received the Spirit, we crucify the desires of the flesh. We are given the strength to resist temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God gives us his strength and his power to resist temptation. We cannot resist temptation in our own strength. But God gives us his power, his strength, to resist temptation so that we do not indulge our sinful desires. So we resist sin and instead live by the Spirit. Well, how else do we sow to the Spirit? One of the ways is by devoting ourselves to the teaching of the Word. We need the Word. We need to study the Word, and we need the Word taught to us. And that's why we see in verse 6, let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one 
who teaches. Receiving the teaching of the word is a good thing. That is something that we should embrace. That is something that we should support. That is something that we should uphold. We all need the teaching of the word, whether it's in a one-on-one Bible study, a small group, or here on a Sunday morning. We all need the word to be taught. Listening, hearing, applying the teaching of the word is how we sow to the spirit. We sow to the spirit through prayer. We all need to pray. We demonstrate our dependence on the Lord through prayer. And so we sow to the Spirit through prayer. We sow to the Spirit by gathering with other believers. Again, whether it's one-on-one or in a small group Bible study or here on the Lord's Day. How many here can testify to the encouragement and the spiritual strength that comes after spending time in the Word with other believers? I know many of you can testify to that because you do this. You do this on a regular basis. You come away from studying the word with other believers, strengthened and encouraged in your faith. It helps you to resist sin. Sometimes we feel tired. We don't want to do this. We don't want to go to small group. We don't want to go to Bible study. But when we can sow to the Spirit and do these things, we benefit. We reap the benefits of this. This is how we practically sow to the Spirit. But even when we are resisting sin, sowing to the Spirit and doing good, we will have times when we become weary and discouraged. We see an acknowledgement of this in our final two verses this morning, where we are encouraged to not grow weary in doing good. Once again, we read, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There will be times when we grow weary in doing good. There will be times when we are discouraged because we don't see the results and the fruit that we desire to see. We will grow weary, but we are commanded in Scripture to persevere in those times. And we are able to persevere because we know that God promises that there will come a time when we will reap. There will be a reward. When we are serving Christ, doing good in his name, we can be certain that it will pay off in the end. So we need to persevere in doing Good. Persevere in doing good to your brothers and sisters in Christ, serving in the ministry that God has given you. Persevere in discipling and teaching and disciplining your children. Persevere in studying the word, in praying for brothers and sisters in Christ. Persevere in praying for unbelievers whom God has placed in your life. Persevere in giving generously. Persevere in these things knowing that at the right time we will reap if we do not give up. Do good to everyone, but especially to the household of faith, especially to the church. The command to do good to everyone can feel overwhelming. What does that mean? How do we do good to everyone? Well, I think we apply that by seeing people in need in our lives and meeting those needs when they become apparent to us. I think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. That Samaritan man was walking down the road, and a need became apparent to him. There was someone who was left for dead on the road, and when he saw that need, he inconvenienced himself. He inconvenienced himself to help that person. He used his, up his time. He used his physical strength and energy and resources. He used his own money to care for this person, to do good. And so there are times when a need will present itself, 
and you are able to do good. It's being mindful and aware and prepared and willing to inconvenience yourself for others when those opportunities present themselves. And we're to actively and specifically and particularly do good to the household of faith, to those in the church. We are to look for opportunity to do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ within the church community. We are to do so to build up and strengthen the church. God wants his churches to be faithful, to be healthy, to be vibrant. And we participate in that work by looking for opportunities to do good to our brothers and sisters, praying for them, encouraging them, serving them in practical ways. And as we do this, we will strengthen and build up the church, and we will glorify God, and we will be a faithful gospel witness here in our community and beyond. So brothers and sisters, this gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live our lives together by the Spirit. We want to be people who live by the Spirit together, walking in these ways, helping, serving, caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens, glorifying Christ as we live together as a faithful witness here in Snohomish. Let's pray. Let's work to this end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a precious gift. Lord, we thank you for what you make known to us. We thank you for the commands you give to us. We pray that you would help us to internalize, to apply, to be changed and transformed by your word. We pray that we will be people who live our lives together by the Spirit. We pray that our community will be shaped by your word through the power of your Spirit. Lord, we do pray that we will bear one another's burdens. We pray that we will be humble and have a right view of ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you will be glorified in our midst. Lord, we do pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.